This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, hello, Victory family. It's a great privilege to be with you tonight. If we haven't personally met, my name is Pastor Kevin Hundley. Uh, I'm a member here of the congregation along with my wife, Renee, uh, daughter, Delaney, and mother-in-law, Susie. And it's a great privilege to be able to serve you in this way this evening. My typical way of serving is serving you through the network of churches that we work with as a part of the Victory family. I uh, have served in ministry for about 22 years now, about 18 of that was serving in parish ministry, some of that in the Milwaukee area, out east in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then down south in Kenosha. And now for the past four years, I serve our church body Uh, as a person who's kind of a liaison to people who support different ministries or mission work of our church body. Your prayers here at Victory support that work that we do together as a network of congregations. There's about 1,200 congregations in that network uh, serving throughout the United States. About 120 of those congregations are brand new home mission congregations And then we support mission work going on around the globe with 40 different missionaries serving in about 50 different countries. And so a great privilege to be with you tonight to uh, to serve you in this way. Thank you to Pastor Ben and Bill for allowing me the privilege to, uh, to serve you. So if you know anything about your pastors, you know that they like to have a good time. And so maybe you can see them putting this sermon series together of who told you that, and they were going through the different topics that they wanted to deal with, and then they got to the topic that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, that Christians are too judgmental when it comes to sex. So can you imagine them saying, well, which of us should maybe take on that topic? And then they said, well, let's have the guest preacher deal with that topic. So here we are, and here I am to help be a part of talking to you about what God says about that topic. And it's a topic that is a minefield for a preacher. There's a lot of people in our world today that are very sensitive about this topic. They they have some misunderstandings when it comes to this topic, or they at least get kind of offended to even talk about this topic. The other issue is I know quite a few people who have been scarred or deeply wounded because of the world we live in and how this gift that God has given us has been misused and it causes a great deal of hurt. So a pastor sent me an email from someone kind of asking a sensitive question, hey, is this sermon going to be okay for my 10-year-old to listen to? today because this is a topic that can go from G to PG to rated R pretty quickly. And so I want to assure you as we walk into this minefield together, we're going to do that very delicately and with a lot of caution and sensitively as we proceed with a lot of dignity and safety to talk about this important topic. But 
all this hard work that I put in during the week to kind of prepare for sharing with you what God has to say about it hopefully will leave you with a better understanding of what God truly says about your heart and how we live out this blessing that God gives us in this area. But all this kind of begs the question, first of all, as we start, that we need to explore, and that's why is this topic of sex such a taboo thing in our culture that people feel like they need to dance and tiptoe around? We live in a culture that puts a high prize on personal freedom and on tolerance. Those two things tend to be the trump card that goes into any topic in our culture. Our country champions freedom. And so for many people, that means they have a license to do and to think and to act any way they want. And if someone objects to any of those things, then they quickly are condemned by the biggest label that can be put on someone to really dismiss someone in our culture. They're labeled as being not tolerant. So do you see that in our culture? Do you you see that idea behind things like, well, what I do behind the closed doors of my home is my business and no one else's? Or maybe you've seen the protesters with their sign that screams, my body, my choice. Our culture has a theme song, kind of sounds like the Frank Sinatra song, I'll do it my way. And if anyone is judgmental about this topic of sex, it's probably our culture, which has plenty to say and plenty that it labels as acceptable in this area. And often that idea comes along with the thought, what I do is none of your business. So this is the first point we want to ponder this evening. When it comes to the topic of sex, our world likes to argue and fight for behaviors where God calls us to consider our hearts that drive those behaviors. My body, my choice, that that theme really permeates through our culture with this topic. And for us as Christians, is that really true? How about the thought that our body really isn't just ours, God also has a claim on us for a variety of different reasons. And we're going to take a look at some passages that remind us that our body really isn't our own and how we use it, God really has a claim on guidance and direction of how we can do that in a God-pleasing way. So take a look at Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being, the writer says. You, God, knit me together in my mother's womb. Or Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, 
And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Your body was given to you as a gift. It was handcrafted by the king of the universe who personally knit you together in your mother's womb. And talk about intimate knowledge of you and making sure that every detail was attended to. But there's another claim that God makes on us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, who we're going to look at again in a little bit in Romans, wrote this section to the Corinthians, and he said, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies." I want to take you on a little tour of ancient culture for a second. The, the culture that Paul was writing to in Corinth was filled with ideas about a whole bunch of different gods that people would worship. Gods that they would turn to to bless their family, to bless their business, to bless their crops. They would go to the temples, they would make sacrifices, asking God whatever particular idol they worshipped for his blessing. Christians, as they lived in this culture, in this world, had a way of talking about their God, too, but it was a radical idea. If someone in Corinth asked a Christian, tell me about your God, where is his temple? A Christian can say, my God lives inside of me. My God doesn't have a temple that was built in hands by hands. I am the temple of the God that I serve. He is right here with me wherever I go. He promises, never will he leave me or forsake me. And my God who is in me is the one motivating me to live to his glory and for the good of other people. So whatever you see coming from me is motivated by the God within me. What a radical thought that Christians shared with the culture of their world. At least that's how it was designed to work, by God's direction. Unfortunately, because we have sinful selfishness, sometimes that selfishness gets in the way. And when we don't remember that we really are beholding to the God who made us and who bought us with his own blood, we get to be reminded we're not ours again. Not only were we artisanally crafted by God, but we were bought and paid for in blood. And that's what the cross is all about. God said, you are so precious to me that I'm going to take the thing that's most precious to me, my child, my son, and I'm going to sacrifice him so that you might be mine forever and you might be free from sin. What a gift that God says you are so precious that he would purchase you in blood to make you his own both now for this life and for an eternity with him. So you are not your own. You were bought at a price, a very, very high price for God that you might live for him and honor him with all that you do. 
So this whole area of what the Bible says about sex doesn't have to be taboo. It doesn't have to be shameful as our culture often labels it to be. Alternatively, here's the way, here's the way God wants us to look at this topic. And here's the foundational way we'll kind of talk for the rest of our time together today. God made you to be his own for his own loving purpose. He handcrafted you and he positions you in life, husband, wife, so that you might reflect his, his love to the world in every aspect of your life. You need to understand that foundation that God's word places before us for Paul's guidance in Romans tonight to make any sense for us. This, this next section we're going to look at from Romans chapter 13 is a section where Paul talks a great deal about love. Now that word can be kind of confusing in our culture because let me give you an example. Last Thursday, my wife Renee and I celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary and that day we did things to share with each other how precious our love is for one another and how blessed we are to have a partner for life that God has placed into our life. But I also love pizza and I love tacos. And so we have this weird thing in our culture and in our language where we say we love something but we know from context, at least we hope from context, that when I talk about the love that we celebrated on our wedding anniversary on Thursday, that's different, has a different weight and, and, and different punch to it than the love I have for pizza or for tacos. Now, Paul was able to avoid some of this confusion in his world because he is writing to a bunch of people in Rome using the ancient Greek language. And that language had the blessing to it of being very precise with its words and its verb forms so that the writer couldn't be misunderstood. When Paul writes to the Romans, he's going to write about love and in the language he's using, there's about six different words he could have picked to talk about the particular kind of love that he's referring to in this section from Romans. You're probably familiar with four of those words. Storge, phileta, eros, and agape. Now, storge. Storge is the kind of love that a parent and a child have for one another. Do you, do you remember that emotion that flooded into your heart when you got to hold your child for the first time in that little hour of bonding that you had after, after the birth where you got to just snuggle and hold this wonderful bundle of joy that, that you knew you loved, but now that it's in your arms and you're staring right into its eyes, boy, that love is, is so big and undescribable, it's amazing. Or the love you have for your child who might have just recently graduated from school or from college where you swell with pride for them. Storge is that love that a parent has for a child. 
And then there's the word phileia, a, a kind of a root word, a root of a, a city name that we're familiar out on the East Coast, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. You probably said it to yourself. That's the love between family members, the, the love that we have in family for siblings and for extended family. Eros is the next word. That's a word that still is around in our culture and world today. It's the root of the word erotic. So you probably can guess how that word was used in Greek culture, that lust and that passion that one person might have for another. But the one I want to focus on with you is the the final word, agape. And this is the word that Paul uses throughout this section from Romans chapter 13 today. And when he uses that word, he's using it for a very particular purpose. Because that kind of love was reserved for how God loves people. It was a special word used throughout the scriptures to describe that love that is just because. Love for love's sake. Love with no eye towards how it's going to be received or accepted or returned in kind. So this is God's love for you. It's bound with a commitment. Hey, I'm never going to leave you. At the heart of this agape kind of love is sacrifice. The things that God does for us that really put God out, but yet he does it because he loves you. God's love is reckless. It's given without even considering if it's being asked for or how it will be received. So love is kind of a funny thing. If you ask a three-year-old why they love their mother, they might say, well, I love my mom because she makes me macaroni and cheese, and that's the favorite thing that I love to eat. Or I love my mom because when I fall down, she kisses my owies and fixes my boo-boos, and my scraped knees feel so much better after mom attends to them. Or I love my mom because she checks under the bed to make sure that there's nothing scary underneath there, and all she ever finds are dust bunnies. Well, if we're honest, we love because we receive something from this relationship. We receive a a feeling or we receive some type of security or we receive some type of benefit from this relationship from somebody. So why does God love? Or maybe even the better question, why does God love you? When you think about it, There's no benefit for God. Usually, we're a whole lot more trouble than we're worth. We tend to cause chaos, and we tend to make messes. We like to whine, and we often complain. Our hearts are incredibly selfish. And we cause not only a lot of trouble, but we bring with us a lot of tears. So really, when you think about it, there's nothing in all the world that makes us lovable to God. Yet, 
Why does God love us? It's not because of us. It's all because of him. This is who he is. This is his character. God is love. That's what makes him tick. He's full of mercy. His love never gets old or outdated. He never gets tired of giving it. His well of love never runs dry. And this is the gift that he gives for all of eternity. And so this love is the love we see most clearly at the cross. There's a passage you know. God so loved the world. God so loved. In this unique way, God loved the world. He sacrificed for it. He put his love into action. He gave his life for yours He took on death so that you might have forgiveness and life forever. That's love. That makes no sense that we get to ponder for all of eternity. But yet that's the gift that he gives to you. And that is agape. That's agape love. Love that's reckless that God gives and is unique to him, And this is the kind of love Paul calls us as Christians to reflect in our life because we have received it from God. We now get to share it with others so that God might be praised and our neighbor might be benefited. So with that understanding, this next principle that we need to take a look at when it comes to applying God's agape love into our world even applies to us as sexual beings. The world is me-focused. I do what I want, but God calls us to be others-focused. True love is looking to the needs of others and doing what is best for them, even if that means sacrifice for me. So now we finally get to Paul in Romans 13. He's writing to a culture of Romans who are in the heart of the capital city who are used to their culture of selfishness. The Roman culture was all about me, myself, and I. You know some of those phrases that still stick around from Roman culture. They've lasted 2,000 years. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So this is all about this culture of of it's all about me and my pleasure and my wants and, and what I want. And to this, Paul calls Christians to live differently. Take a look at what he says in verses 8 and following of Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love, agape, love. One another. For whoever loves, again, every time you see love in this section, it's agape is the word he's using. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Since we've been loved by God, we have the precious, precious privilege to be able to share that love with others. We reflect it into others' lives because God has given it to us. So this is the heart of God's call to the Christian where we love others as we love ourselves. We're to be generous 
and lavish with sharing this love to give God glory and for the good of the people around us. God says, don't be stingy because I wasn't stingy with you when it comes to love. Verse 9, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm, does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Loving as God loves, this, this agape love, this is what God calls us to do as we represent him in this world. And it's the overarching principle that Paul puts before us as we apply this now to our life. Now that we get this, Paul says, okay, here's what I want you to do. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we had first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. You live in a culture, Romans. I understand where it's, it's easy to go with the flow and just do what everybody else does, but now is the time to wake up because judgment day is coming. The clock is ticking down. We're running out of time. So now is the time to put this love into action. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, the deeds of sin and selfish hearts and put on the armor of light, the thing that God gives us to live for him. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's not about eat, drink, and be merry. It's not about satisfying the desires of your sinful nature. It's not about clawing your way to the top. Those things probably sound familiar because our culture still deals with those things today. Times might change, but people and their hearts don't because sin is alive and well inside of us. But God's agape love that he's given to you so that you can no longer be bound to sin but bound to Christ, this is the thing he wants to permeate through you so that it affects all parts of your life as you have your heart and connection to Christ driving your life so that God is praised and so that other people are blessed by this love being put into action. So, one final thought. God's love for us moves us to love our neighbor in God's name. And this is how God's agape love permeates throughout the Christian life and flows out into the rest of the world. You notice it's, it's all about putting that love into action. So some takeaways as we wrap up tonight. What does this mean for you as parents living in this culture and in this world and dancing in this minefield of this topic of sex in the lives of our kids too? Well, the big thing, parents, is you can't check out you have to be engaged in this battle. Satan's going to use every opportunity to try to teach your kids the junk he wants them to know. 
And so you're going to have to be vigilant in trying to teach them the things that God wants them to know and to do. So that means having those difficult discussions that sometimes we, we cringe to think about having, but yet it's time to have them. Age appropriate, when it comes up, maybe it's time to pause the TV show or the movie that you're watching to discuss what they're seeing so that kids can learn from mom and dad. Here are the things that are acceptable in our house and here are the things that God wants us to do as, as we put our sinful nature down and, and be filled with the love of Christ for other people. Maybe it's time to, to put some safety tools in place on the internet or on the TV around your house so that kids are protected from this stuff. But either way, it's, it's time to, to engage and say, here's some guidance. Here's what, here's what God says. And, and let's hear what you have on your mind. Let's talk about this stuff with your kids, age appropriate. Singles, you are dancing in this minefield too when it comes to dating and relationships. And you're probably maybe meeting people in person or online who are pressuring you to think about sex before marriage, and, and you heard tonight what God says about those things. Be, be of your convictions. You are a person connected with Christ. You're not going to find your fulfillment in those feelings and in that lust living out. You're going to find them in Christ. And so maybe that means you need to hold fast by networking and connecting with people here at church. Your pastors will be great tools and, and reference points for you to say, here's some other people to maybe connect with and create a small group with, or there's other groups here in the Milwaukee area connected to our churches who, who are about this topic, and so there's a safety net for you too, and we encourage you to use it. Couples, just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary, so the best advice I can give you, and the one that I try to live out not perfectly, I'm still working at it, is to be a student and a cheerleader of your spouse. Find out what makes them tick. And as you do that, you're probably going to also find out what ticks them off and avoid those things. But find out what they appreciate and what they love and what brings them joy not only in your life together, but, but in the bedroom together too, since we're talking about this topic. And what's interesting about that is when you become a student of your spouse, it's never boring because you're going to find out about your spouse as a newlywed, and then all of a sudden God might bless you with children, and so now you get to find out about your spouse as a parent and then your spouse as a child is going off to school and now in high school and just when you get comfortable in one stage of life God in his sense of humor gives you new opportunities and new life adventures where you get to learn a little bit more about your spouse in a whole new setting and situation so enjoy that journey Find out what makes your spouse tick and what they appreciate and do more of those things as you share that agape love with your spouse. You're going to mess up along the way. We're, we're imperfect humans living with, with each other, so that causes tears and disappointment. So forgive. Forgive as you have been forgiven, and that's sharing Christ's love 
with your spouse too. It's, it's always great to start every day or end every day with, honey, I love you. I'm sorry for how I failed you today and I'm going to try again tomorrow. But God have mercy on me and on us. And, and we thank him for his mercy that never ends. Talk to your pastors about a marriage retreat. Uh, there's other opportunities in this area where they might be able to direct you to other couples and spouses who are, who are learning the skills to put those relational skills into action so that that agape love can flow in that relationship and create a beautiful foundation where a life can be built on it and a family might be blessed through it. So, Marriage, it, it, it bookends the Bible. It's interesting that the Bible starts with a, a marriage, Adam and Eve, and it ends with a marriage as God comes back as the groom coming to sweep his bride off their feet, the church, you and I, to sweep us into the wedding banquet that has no end in heaven, where that celebration continues and that agape love freely flows for an eternity. So that's something to rejoice about. And that's the final thought for tonight. God's agape love is the foundation of God's gift of sex. And it reminds us that there is no area of our life that's off limits to God. Some might call what the Bible has to say about sex old-fashioned or out of date. But true love based on commitment and on sacrifice for the good of the other person is a picture of the way God puts his unique love into practice for you. It's really what the cross is all about. God so loved in this unique way, he loved you, he sacrificed so that you might be rescued forever. That's love. And so in this dark world, be the light that reflects the victory of Christ and how you love others to God's glory and for the good of those around you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, And to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.